The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. We're glad you found us. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity FM Radio. I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together we discuss ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. And as today's show is an interactive discussion, if you're listening live, you can call in with your comments or questions. The number is 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And Facebook users, you can also connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, to share your thoughts and comments. So we know that we can live lives of peace, comfort, and joy, although that may seem really far off when we're in early recovery. So we must first extricate ourselves from the confusion, disarray, and insanity of an undirected life. And then we have to learn to trust a power greater than ourselves that can bring sanity and hope. So today on the show, we'll start by sharing our own experiences of leading an undirected life of disarray, and then we'll move into the solution of coming to believe in a power greater than ourselves. And then after the break, we'll share our experience, strength, and hope about exactly how we made the shift to a life of genuine peace, comfort, and joy with a higher power. So we've talked at length in other shows about unmanageability, disarray, um, you know, the the confusion and, uh, you know, unmanageable circumstances that happen when we're out there. And once we get into recovery, we find that all of that doesn't go away. We created all this havoc, but and maybe the the substance that was we're addicted to has gone away, but our way of dealing with life and coping with life has not changed, and so we still find ourselves in this in this um, confusion. Yeah, I know that. I mean, what I'm hearing, and I know this is true for me, is that uh, you know whatever my way of thinking and being in the world that kind of got me to a place where uh, recovery was a good option is still there. I mean, the way that my mind is wired, the way that I approach um, issues and challenges and problems is still the same. Um, And I know for me what that meant is that, um, you know, kind of far away from uh, what we will be talking about shortly uh, with a higher power is uh, my experience was more of a, a life where 
I felt like, you know, whatever it is that needed to happen or that I wanted to do, I kind of had to do it myself. You know, I, I very much felt um, alone, but didn't even realize it at the time. But I distinctly remember um, not even really wanting or liking to work with other people on things. My mantra was more along the lines of uh, leave me alone. I'll do it myself. And while in a sense that was more comfortable uh, for me, in a much larger sense, it, it was, um, you know, a, a very disconnected way to lead a life. So almost the opposite of uh, the concept of a higher power that we have in recovery. And, you know, for me, the disarray included relationships, finances, uh, all manner of things. And as you pointed out, I had learned uh, just in living life up to that point in time, certain ways of coping in the world, certain ways of approaching my problems, certain ways of, of forming relationships, certain communication patterns, all of those kinds of things. And so when I first got into recovery, I had no other tools, no other way. And I was told that I had to find a higher power one way or another. And, you know, that was that was a concept beyond my uh, comprehension at that point. Mm -hmm. I had, you know, I was always told as growing up, set a goal. You can do it. You, you know, make it happen. It's the self-directed uh, pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get going kind of kind of approach. Yeah. And there's a lot to be said for that. I mean, I think that's a powerful skill to have. But I know uh, for me, if that was the only way that I had to approach things, it, it left a lot to be desired. But I keep coming back to, and it and it just really stands out to me, I had no idea that my life was undirected, I think, because I didn't know what it was like to experience a life that that was directed. You know, I didn't know that I was generally disconnected from other people because I hadn't lived a life uh, where I was connected. So it's so strange to look back on it with some perspective, you know, now from today and some years in recovery uh, and see it so differently than it seemed like at the time. You know, it's interesting you say uh, you're sharing about uh being self-directed and not understanding or, or knowing or having any inkling of being disconnected. Um, I, I thought that my life was self-directed and what I know now about my codependency that went along with the addiction is that it was directed by everybody else but me. Mm. You know, it was directed by my fears. It was directed by my, uh, not by my hopes or dreams or goals that I had set, but I'm afraid to be rejected. I'm afraid to be left out. I'm afraid to be abandoned. And so that dictated which direction I moved. So there was no plan, uh, really, um, no coordinated effort in order to get all of me headed in the same direction, if that makes any sense. It does. I can hear in that, that uh, you know, a lot of influences, a lot of things pulling you in different ways or pulling your attention and your focus in different ways. I know that um, I was living my life from what I would call now from the outside in. You know, we have this concept of living our lives from the inside out, which means that, you know, our, our inner reality and uh, when we get to talking about a higher power, that higher power within us is where everything begins. And then our life moves out from there. Well, I was definitely living a life from the outside in where it was more like circumstances seemed to be 
um, defining how I was doing, you know, whether I was okay or not. And I found myself, um, you know, if I was trying to feel better in life, I would do so by doing or getting or something that was outside of myself, you know, reaching for something, something to do, um, something outside of my own uh, inner experience that seemed to me it was, you know, that was the only thing that I knew of, um, the only approach that I knew of to try and have some effect on how I felt in the world. So that whole living from the outside in, which yet again, I had no perspective on that until much, much later. I think that's a really good point, and I, I share that experience of living from the, the outside in, as I was sharing about being directed by everybody and everything else in my life, you know, allowing those fears to push me around. Um, I, I, um, I didn't have an anchor. I didn't, you know, have a core set of uh, beliefs. I was wishy-washy because I wanted to believe what you believed or what you believed or what somebody else believed because because of fear stuff that I already mentioned. And so it was really uh, a challenge when I was told, find a higher power. Well, what is this anchor? I can see that other people have this, but I cannot figure out how to get this thing for myself. Because as you mentioned, the getting, the having, the doing, as opposed to the being, was my modus operandi. And so how do I go get this? Where do I go to get a higher power? Yeah, that whole concept of um, being versus doing was foreign to me. You know, we joke about uh, we need to not be a human doing, but rather a human being. And I don't know that I really could differentiate those two things. And it's not, it's not as if my life experience was completely one-sided. It sort of sounds like that when I describe it. But really, it's my awareness of what's going on and what I identified myself with. So certainly I had an inner experience at that time, but I don't think I placed any value on it. I think that I identified with external things and that doing seemed more important than being. And that concept that uh, being is enough uh, would have been very foreign to me. You know, both, I'm thinking both uh, just growing up in the world and then um, you know, in, into active addiction and, and perhaps even leading uh, up to getting into recovery. You know, several times in the, in the active addiction and in early recovery, I got to this place of, is that all there is? You know, I was queen of the self-help books, you know, and I, that, will, that will put me in the right direction. This book will tell me what I need to know. This one will give me the tools that I need to have in order to have a happier, more directed life. And I would achieve that level, I would master those tools, I would learn those things, and then I would get to a place where I'm, I'm sitting there going, is that all there is? Is this all there is? And I think that was a reflection of the emptiness that I felt, the disconnection that I felt. You know, achieving and doing wasn't getting me what I needed at that point. Yeah, I, have a, I had a similar experience in that I, I really valued and I'm going to say in the past tense, valued things like, uh, you know, books and self-help books. And, oh, look, here are the five steps to this or the seven to that. And I really thought of those kinds of things as um, a pathway to, you know, I guess, 
having a better life experience. Not that my life experience was bad, but, you know, just that kind of disconnection. But what I found was I could never do those things, which just made it even worse. It's almost like, um, you know, a book would tell me, you know, if you did these three things, I like I would get it in my head. I get them good with ideas. I see what they're talking about. I see how that could help a person. I cannot do what they're saying to do. It, it was very frustrating. Um, and I just would end up concluding that, oh, well, I guess I'm just not very good at that, which was, you know, kind of a more negative stuff on top of the, the reason I was going to the book in the first place, you know, pile on top of that, that, well, apparently I just can't do this. <laughs> yeah. So, so I juggled, you know, I'd get my personal life, I'd be working on my relationship and that'd be going better, but work, work relationships would go down the tubes or I'd work on the work relationships and then the family relationships would fall apart. You know, it was just a, it was just a cycle over and over again, this, this um, disarray and not having any goals, not being pointed in any particular direction, not having an anchor. Yeah, anchor is a good word. I, I know that, and I was thinking earlier that if we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, certainly all my basic needs were covered and many of my psychological needs were covered. I mean, I lived a very comfortable uh, life, but I didn't have what I could call now an anchor, you know, some internal uh, frame of reference to guide an entire life. I really didn't have that. Um, I had some security as far as uh, material things went, that's for sure. Never worried about what I was going to eat. Um, never worried about, you know, not having any clothes to wear or not having a warm place in the winter, but, you know, sort of my deficiencies, if you will, were, were internal and sort of in the, I don't know if it's the mental, psychological, emotional, somewhere, you know, in the non-physical realm. So it's really a challenge. And we recognize that in early recovery and, and prior to recovery to live this disarray of this undirected life. And so what's the solution to that? Well, in unity, we affirm that there's only one presence and one power active in our lives. In fact, this truth is one of unity's five basic principles. It's the very first principle, which states, there is only one presence and one power active in the universe and in my life. God the good, omnipotence. And this... It is this expression of a higher power that can lead those of us in recovery to a life of peace, comfort, and joy. And coming to believe in such a power is what we want to focus on today. So what does it mean to say that we came to believe in a power greater than ourselves? Uh, that is a great question. I know for me it was a, um, a growth over time, I would say. I mean, I did, I, I did have what... I learned we call a white light experience, but it, it wasn't, uh, you know, a one and done kind of thing. It, it was certainly uh, a profound experience that helped me a great deal, almost jump-started me in a way to a, a whole new uh, relationship with uh, the concept of a higher power relationship with God. But for me, it's all been very strange and vague at first. Uh, when I undertook this, again, I'm I'm good with ideas. I'm very comfortable with uh, concepts and head kind of stuff. 
And so uh, the journey for me was moving from the ideas uh, to the experience of a higher power, which I have found to be quite quite a different thing. So strange and vague, that's what comes to mind uh, <laughs> at first as I approached this whole concept of a higher power, you know, as I slowly came to believe in a power greater than myself. Well, it's been pointed out that there are lots of powers greater than ourselves. And, um, you know, particularly in addiction, when we have this propensity to become attached to an idea or attached to something or somebody, that that directs our behavior, that directs our attention, it directs our, our obsession, if you will. And so I was told not just to pick any power, but to pick a higher power, a good power, something that would be helpful to me, a power that could be helpful to me. And I was told that the that the spiritual principle of step two was hope. And, and, you know, that word never meant much to me because, you know, as a kid, I'd always, well, I hope I get to go here. I hope I get one of those. I hope that, you know, I don't get uh, put in this situation again or whatever. Hope was this really soft, squishy word that was either a fantasy or a dream or a wish or something like that. So when I heard that hope was the spiritual principle of step two, I'm going, oh, well, this is really, <laughs> really wishy-washy. I don't know what we're doing here, you know? And uh, and so it was it was a real challenge for me to get my arms around this, what this meant. Yeah, hope sounds like, oh, we're going to flip a coin. I hope it's heads. Well, you know, it feels like completely out of my control. You know, I it, it, almost if that's just, I hope that that's how everything just happens to fall into place. I have no influence over it whatsoever. Uh, yeah, hope in that sense, uh, not very helpful. I, I felt at first, especially, you know, and this is, of course, changed and grown over time just in some odd uh, in particular way. But at first, it, the concept of a higher power felt so ambiguous because I didn't really subscribe to um, the kind of well-defined higher power that I've heard about from uh, people who went to church and whatnot. I mean, that early, early in life, I realized that that didn't really make any sense to me and didn't really work for me. Um, so when it came time for this bro much broader concept like we have in the recovery world, um, it just felt very ambiguous. And I remember thinking, you know, even when I sort of felt like I was kind of onto it, that it was start, I could start to feel it. It was kind of starting to make sense. I thought, how can this be powerful? This doesn't seem powerful at all. It seems very vague and it seems very elusive. And, you know, I know now what I was doing is I couldn't shake that concept of the almighty, you know, because that my experience of God was not of an almighty. God. And so I questioned my, I thought, can this be it? You know, maybe, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe I don't get it because I'm not getting this um, kind of old man on a cloud, almighty sort of vibe from all of this. Well, that's a really good point. You know, we're enculturated with everybody else's ideas about who and what this thing called God is. And when I was told to find a higher power, I thought that's just a thinly veiled way of saying that word God so that we don't scare everybody off, you know, because I had mm -hmm. given up on God long before I got to the program and I was not overly anxious to get re-engaged if I ever was engaged. You know, it was, it was one of those things I had a number of prejudices and a number of uh, ideas that had been planted by other people. And some of them I 
didn't know about, and some of them I absolutely did not agree with, similar to what you're talking about. And so uh, when I was approached with the concept of a higher power, uh, any higher power, a higher power of my own choosing, um, it was really kind of a scary proposition. Yeah, what began to work for me uh, was when I began to, I guess, realize and accept that what I was experiencing was quote correct you know that i wasn't missing it at all i was misinterpreting it perhaps maybe i didn't understand what it is i was experiencing but i wasn't misexperiencing if you will um, the presence of god and what really helped me a great deal is when i began to understand the difference between that kind of uh, almighty concept that coercive type of power that is implied um, with the almighty way of seeing God versus what I now know as a persuasive kind of power, a much more subtle and in a, in a real sense, much more powerful um, way of uh, expressing or wielding or understanding that power. So, you know, in a simple example, if someone were to ask, you know, what is stronger, water or steel? Like, well, you know, if I was in a sword fight, I hope I'm not the one with the water, right? Doesn't water seem very, very weak? And and steel is so strong and hard and sharp and, and all of that. Well, it's like, okay, we'll do this. Take that sword and throw it in the ocean and check back in 50 years and tell me what's stronger. It's like, oh, that's an entirely different way of understanding power. Wow, that kind of persuasive power now, all of a sudden, I see it everywhere in the world. I see it everywhere in the natural world, and a big light bulb went on for me. Aha, that is my understanding of God. That is my understanding of a higher power. That makes sense and works for me. And I came to understand later that word almighty, which uh, gets used to describe God's power uh, is really, honestly, a mistranslation of the Hebrew phrase El Shaddai that is more accurately translated as all-providing or all-sufficient. So to go from all-providing or all-sufficient to almighty, is a that is a very, very different kind of thing. And when I realized that um, my perceptions, which were you know in line with an all-providing and an all-sufficient God, uh, were solid, that's when things really began to change. That's something I could build a life on. Well, I had to do a really incremental um, understanding of this step. It was, I did not have a light bulb moment like you mentioned or a white light experience. I, um, I learned a little tiny bit at a time, and it started with the learning to trust somebody. And it was the group, and you've talked often in these in these broadcasts about the power of the group. Yes. And and I was, uh, it was shared with me that this group can do together what we can, none of us can do alone. And and that there's a power there in that group, and so I could see illustrations like that that were not in the idea realm more, but I I can actually lay my eyes on that. I see people there every day that are doing what I cannot do by myself, and uh, the same thing with uh, I got a sponsor, and this person said, you know, if you want what we have, do what we've done, and so I started to learn that, oh, I can see what other people are doing that, that makes them successful at this endeavor of putting their life back together. 
for while they're doing it. And so I began to pay attention to that and learning by that. So I learned by example, probably as much as I learned by any ideal ideas or concepts. Um, you know, and when they told me that the spiritual uh, principle of step two was hope, as I mentioned earlier, I thought that was really squishy. But I got hope when I could see that other people were doing something and getting places where I could not could not even dream of going. Yeah, because that kind of hope doesn't feel like a flip of a coin, kind of arbitrary outcome. Uh, when we see it in the community, um, for me, that carries an awful lot of weight. Even if I don't understand, how, you know, how did this person get to this place? Could they really actually have ever had a problem? Because they don't seem now like they could have ever had a problem. Um, the kind of hope that that brings, I can, I definitely hear you on that. And mine, even though a a notable white light experience, that didn't. That didn't do it all. You know, maybe that was a, a bit of a kick in the pants, so to speak, of something that bumped me a couple notches down the road, but the road is an ongoing sort of thing. I, I came to believe slowly over time um, in that, you know, we, we use that phrase out of Elijah um, from the Hebrew Bible, that still small voice. And again, that's that kind of persuasive, reliable, ever-present um, but not coercive or almighty uh, representation of God that really spoke to me. And I, I came to believe in the God of that still small voice slowly over time. And it's been quite a while now, and I'm, I can affirm that that is an ongoing process. It's none of this, in my experience, has been, you know, what we'd call a one and done. Okay, I did it, now it's done, and I'm moving on. It's not like that at all for me. It's a, it's an ongoing, in a sense, it's a cycle, but it's really, it's like that spiral path up the mountain, right? Things are changing. Life is, continues to get better and better, but still I look out and like, wasn't I here before? Wasn't I here two years ago, five years ago? Uh, what's going on? That spiral path up the mountain has helped me a lot. You know, that plus the, the still small voice and that reliable guiding presence um, that we talk about in our uh, first principle, one presence and one power, that has helped me a great deal. And that has been something that I can um, move forward with and build a life on really again. You know, and it's interesting that you mentioned spiritual principles. There's tons of spiritual principles. And, you know, while hope is the one that step two centers on, you mentioned the one presence, one power, unity's first principle. And knowing that that is a pathway gives me hope. Um, you know, Brene Brown really said it for me in a way that I understood best. I have to have a goal. I need a path and I need agency, the belief that I can. Yes. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Here's a Unity Mindful Moment with Catherine Ponder, taken from a classic talk called The Prosperous Truth, recorded at Unity of Austin in 1991. God is extravagant supply. Get that, extravagant. God is extravagant supply. He brings forth the best robe. He spreads a banquet table, as we saw last night, with good things on which we may feast. He overflows our cup. He opens the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing. And then this is what that Unity Correspondence Course said. Why are you satisfied with such meager living when you may have so much? To find out more about Unity teachings, visit unity.org. Since 1924, Daily Word has offered inspiration and practical teachings through daily prayer messages to help people of all faiths live happy, healthy lives. The magazine includes two months of daily affirmations, messages, articles, and spiritual poetry to help you get inspired. Subscriptions are available for print editions in large type and Spanish, as well as the digital subscription package that includes the online magazine with audio, smartphone app, and daily email. Get your subscription today. Visit dailyword.com or unity.org. Grief can bring you down, but it doesn't have to take over your life. From Grieving to Believing is a transformational weekend taking place November 16th to the 18th at Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health. Join grief expert David Kessler, spiritual medium Maureen Hancock, and Paul Denniston, the creator of Grief Yoga, in the beautiful Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. This unique event will take you into deep soul healing, addressing body, mind, and spirit. Reserve your space today at kripalu.org. Search Grieving to Believing. Would you like to experience more peace and joy in your life through A Course in Miracles? Let Rev. Jennifer Hadley support you in discovering the powerful life lessons available through this unique spiritual thought system that teaches the way to love and peace is through forgiveness. Join Jennifer every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for A Course in Miracles, living the love, walking the talk, to experience the healing for yourself on Unity Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're here with us today, and if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that we're opening the lines for callers. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. And so prior to the break, we were discussing the challenges of this undirected life, and we were beginning to talk about spiritual principles and how 
two in particular, this one presence and one power that we call God in unity, our first principle, coupled with the this, this spiritual principle of hope, brings us to a place where we can um, hopefully have a different type of life. So, Dan, since this challenge of this disarray of an undirected life and the solution is belief in a power greater than ourselves, how exactly does that belief lead to a life of genuine peace, comfort, and joy? You know, as I hear that question, I have no idea. I've done it, but I have no idea how exactly that works. What I can do, though, is share my experience of that uh, transition over time. And, of course, it's probably no mystery, based on what I just said, that it's something that developed over time. Um, it, it wasn't a, you know, get enlightened quick kind of scheme like uh, many of us seem to be after, but more of the uh, educational variety, um, as it were. And again, you know, my my God concept started as a fairly intellectual or a head understanding of God, and it took some uh, time and some willingness and just kind of a mixture of a whole bunch of factors including, very importantly, the power of the community. That was probably one of the strongest yet most subtle influences on me. I think that is the thing that I did. You know, I'd show up every day for a meeting, and I don't know that I saw it as anything other than it's a good idea and I'll get together with some other people. But looking back on it, I can see where um, it really helped me to develop um, a better understanding of, really an experience of uh, the presence of God in my life, which today, you know, directs everything that I do in a, in a significant manner. So that question, how exactly does a belief in a higher power lead us to a life of genuine peace, comfort, and joy? I think you illustrated that well. There's a bazillion puzzle pieces that mm. makes that happen. But for me, what I have found root of that is the belief it is what what am i believing in what what am i uh, having faith in and when i change from having belief and faith in only my own ability only my own knowledge only the information that i carry with me to becoming open to being teachable to being willing to follow directions to being willing to hear new ways of being in the world that this power started being able to get in. You know, before that, it was kind of like I had a, this shell around me. And um, so the second step is really where this power comes to me. I was, I was challenged to look at what are my beliefs? What do I believe about God? What do I believe about me? What do I believe about the world? How does it all work together? How, how does it support me? How do I feel it doesn't support me? And I had a lot of baggage around, I'll say the word God, um, due to some childhood issues, some feeling abandoned and things like that. And so coming to a new understanding was quite a challenge for me. And even that um, second step, you know, the way that it's worded, it's definitely, um, for me, a step in the right direction, but it's sort of an interim place. You know, came to believe or mm, suspect that maybe it could be true <laughs> that this whole higher power thing might actually be able to uh, help me recover uh, from my addiction. I, I think I had a certain 
uh, amount of not really skepticism because I, I didn't really care any sort of negative energy like, yeah, right. Uh, I don't believe it, but more of a, you know, I don't really see how the, all of this is going to work. Uh, I, I believe it cause I see it in others, but I really, you know, and it, I can't wrap my head around it. And I think that that was part of the challenge for me or an issue for me early on was that there's nothing to wrap my head around. It's not a head kind of thing. It's not an understanding, although I'm, I'm good at understanding it and I can explain and I can, um, you know, come from that idea space, but that's not what changed my life. You know, that's not what, uh, allowed me to move into that, uh, life that we're talking about of genuine peace, comfort, and joy that came through experience, you know, both experience in the sense of if I stick around long enough, I get better at this, that kind of experience, but also experience in the sense of the, the felt presence of the divine as a reliable and regular thing in my life. That, um, that statement right there or that concept or that thing is what to me in my life, that experience of the presence of God, which is one reason that I love unity so much is because that is at the very forefront, the very center of what we're all about is to have uh, and live from an experience of the presence of God, not just an idea, not just words about, but uh, a felt experience. And of course, there's as many ways of having that experience as there are people. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you've already mentioned, this educational variety, I was very much about that. And I think it was because, like you, I'm, I was all tied up in my head. Believe it, don't believe it, try it. Okay, well, I tried it. Oh, it worked. Hmm. You know, well, I had to do that several times before I started believing that there's something to this. And then I still had to do that over and over and over again, every time a new situation would come up, I did not recognize the common denominator in the situation, whatever it may be. Um, I thought that all these circumstances were um, manifesting in a way that were creating my life's, you know, challenges. And really what was at the root of it was my, you know, and, and lack of connection, uh, lack of the anchor that I talked about earlier. And so coming to believe for me started out as an intellectual ascent. Okay, there's a, there's a higher power. I can see that. Okay, I can see that there's power in the group. Okay, I see that. There's power in spiritual principles. If I align my behavior, my thoughts and, and words with the spiritual principles, my life is going to improve. I can see that. But I had to take an awful lot of that on faith. I did not experience for a very long time. Yeah. My experience of it is sort of like a garden, right? Someone tells you, oh, if you, if you uh, take this hoe and dig up all this dirt, and then if you put these seeds down and cover them with dirt, and then if you water it on this schedule, then wonderful flowers are going to grow. You know, and, and if, if I'm one who has never seen that. I mean, maybe I've seen people walking down the street with flowers, but that's about it. Uh, you know, that, that for me, that well describes kind of my early experiences like, okay, I don't think you're lying to me. 
I, I can see how that could be, but I have no direct experience with growing flowers. I'm just going to have to, you know, operate on faith here in a sense, or I keep coming back to our, um, our, our phrase, who to be willing, honest, and open-minded, you know, before I could have a, an experience of the presence of God, let alone a, a regular and reliable experience as uh, the guiding force in my life, I had to simply, just like with the garden, uh, be willing to say, okay, I'm going to go through the motions. I'm going to do what it is that I'm hearing that one does, you know, prayer and meditation or whatever it might be in a spiritual practice. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, turn the earth and put the seeds and do the water and show up each day. And lo and behold, there it was. But in order to do that, I had to be willing to do it. I had to be open-minded at least. Uh, I might be able to actually do that without being honest, but, uh, being honest certainly helps a whole lot in this whole process. So the WHO thing is a good description of, of how I moved from, um, the idea of God to the experience of God by um, by showing up and being willing to allow it to unfold. And in more than one place in the literature, it talks about willingness as being the key, you know. And it 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 also talks about, and I still struggle with this from time to time. Defiance, mm. <laughs> you know, defiance is the block. The, the resistance is the block that keeps this uh, spirit of the universe connection um, outside of me, at least. And that is that I am, because I'm not willing and I'm not open-minded. I've already got an idea and this is, and this is the way that I want to view things. And, and I'm not willing to entertain something different. And when I'm in that kind of a space, and I was there a lot, I'm there a lot less today, um, you know, I have a really difficult time with, with taking in a new concept. And so getting past that defiance with the willingness that you're talking about, you know, I, I, I only had to be 51% willing, you know, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't happy about it, but I would do it. And even that was enough to get me started. Yeah. And, and for me, getting started was absolutely the key. And I'm thinking now about, um, some, you know, some concrete practices, concrete, uh, there's, uh, you know, every, everything in the realm of spirit is uh, concrete might not be a good word to describe it, but I'm thinking about prayer and meditation, you know, as we understand it in unity was a tool or a set of tools, a toolbox, if you will, uh, that I could use if I was willing, honest and open-minded, if I'm, if I'm willing to show up and till the garden, uh, as described, one way that I do that in a spiritual sense is by um, being willing to practice prayer. And, and even in unity, those two words um, mean, you know, the meaning is much more, much closer to what the world knows as meditation. I mean, even our, even our prayer practice is really a form of meditation. And uh, as I like to say, if I'm, if I'm leading a prayer out loud, this is what I would be doing if I was praying. I'm not really praying because I'm talking about praying, but this is sort of how it goes. That's how I think of it. Because uh, a prayer, which is about, um, you know, taking a moment and, and finding the willingness and taking the actions to experience that presence of God, 
Um, that is something that I have to do over and over, a practice. That's why we call it a prayer practice or a meditation practice, because uh, it's never done. You know, I remember um, learning from Reverend Robert Brum, but and I mentioned once when I was in a meditation with him that, you know, something like, well, you know, I'm a beginner, so, you know, I'm not really sure, da-da-da-da-da. And he looked at me and said, every time everyone sits down to meditate, we're all a beginner. And I, for whatever reason, when he said that, I got it. And I know that that's true. And so that to maintain the practice, you know, to be willing to take the time and make some effort to experience that presence of God. Now, over the years, as I've done that, it gets easier and easier, meaning it's easier for me to move back to it. Um, it's easier for me uh, or more quickly in a sense that I can um, have that experience of, of reconnection, but it's still a practice. It's still something that I need to do. You know, the garden analogy still holds. I still have to till the soil, plant the seeds, and water them if I expect flowers to come up. I've just gotten better at those things. You know, and you mentioned earlier the spiral. Haven't I been here before? You know, my understanding of prayer and meditation when I first encountered step two was um, rudimentary at best. And every time I revisit it with any uh, degree of intensity, I find something new. I find something different. And so, yes, I'm engaging in this practice, but I've learned something else about myself or I've learned a different way to connect or I feel like I'm different or better or more guidance. Uh, it's, it's more effective for me. I guess, I guess that's the easy way. Uh, because in the beginning when I started, it was only words. I would say the words because I was told to say the words. Uh, the serenity prayer is a good example. I would say those words because I was told to. And then when I was obsessing about something, I was told to say them over and over and over again. So I learned to do that. But it was a long time before I felt connected to the words or felt like I was learning from the connection that I received. That's a really good um, example, I think, because I, I, I feel like I did the same thing. You know, sometimes we have to uh, do the pieces that we're capable of, which might just, in the beginning, uh, mean going through the motions, so to speak. Now, so-called going through the motions uh, can be a wonderful way to begin to have the actual experience that the motions are meant to reflect. Um, you know, the all, all manner of religious ritual is... I have come to understand is simply an outward expression of an inner experience. And if there's no inner experience, then the outward expression is ridiculous. I mean, it's, it's hypocritical even if I'm doing it and pretending that I'm having an inner experience. Uh, but I can still, um, as you've shared, um, learn to, uh, experience the presence of God just by going through the motions enough to form habits that will then begin to actually open doors for me. So it's a, it's a weird thing. It's a mixed thing for me. The whole concept of uh, ritual or practicing something just because I was told to practice it, I think can be very helpful, uh, especially at first. And uh, what it's helpful at is getting me to a place where it's no longer 
where I'm no longer just going through the motions. I actually am having the experience. Um, so it's a, it's a little weird. I can understand why from the outside it could look uh, highly suspect. I remember in early recovery, I tried everything. I tried everything that I came across. It seemed to work for them. I there's that word hope again. And some of that, I tried sweat lodges, you know, with the Native American ceremonies. And I tried other things that I were, was invite, invited to. And at that point, I was, I would say, analyzing the experience of participation. I was not immersed in the experience of participation. So I didn't get very much out of it, uh, other than the observation that different people, groups of people, cultures connect with their higher power. That in itself opened my mind to the idea that there is not just one way that I can do this. Yeah, th that was also super helpful and important to me in one place that I saw that idea that there is more than one way to do this uh, was is just in the recovery community. I mean, even though in a way, uh, you know, in the in the town I got sober in were somewhat homogenous. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different backgrounds, a lot of different approaches, a lot of different understandings um, of this whole recovery thing and of what it means to to lead what I now think of as a God-centered life. And so I began to see the presence and the power of God in others, you know, in the recovery community, even if their ways of describing it might have been quite different, even if, you know, their practices could, maybe they were just personal or maybe they were, uh, you know, traditional religious with the churches and all of that. Um, even with all of those differences, I could see something going on with them. And that was, that gave me hope. Um, the idea that, yes, there there really isn't just one way to do this, which means I can probably find a way to do this because all these other people have found a way. And I think that that's really the key is to find what works for each of us. And for me, I it, it, like I mentioned before, it was a pretty long journey. And I started with my sponsor saying to me, well, you can see that I believe, don't you? And I said, yes. She said, why don't you borrow my higher power for a while? And that, that, too, was helpful, but I did not subscribe to all of those belief systems. And, in fact, an awful lot of the belief systems I ran across did not resonate with me until I ran into unity. And when, when I ran into unity and learned about the one presence and one power that we call God the good, um, God the good omnipotent, then that connected. And I missed a line in the literature that then jumped out at me, and it says, deep within every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God. It may be buried by calamity and, and what have you going on in the outside, but it is there if we look for it. And, and when I realized that we're talking about the same thing here, that's when the light bulb went on for me. Yeah, it's like that line had your name on it in the margin or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah isn't it, it's wonderful how um, spiritual literature, and I consider the big to be a piece of spiritual literature, can just seeming, you know, jump out and whack me in the head uh, when I'm reading something that I've read dozens and dozens of times. Um, one thing that I learned along the way, so, you know, as I was uh, willing, honest, and open-minded, as I uh, undertook some practices like prayer and meditation, as we talk about in unity, as I saw 
the presence and the power of God working um, in other people, um, I began to realize that the kind of you know internal guidance or the felt presence of God, we even you know even call meditation as quote practicing the presence of God. Um, I came to understand that it's not that I never had those kinds of experiences before. I just didn't know what they were. I didn't have anything to call them. I didn't have a way to understand them. I didn't place a lot of value on them. Uh, and what for me today, uh, what I identify today as an experience of the presence of God, I'm like before have called an instinct or a, you know, a gut feeling or something like that, uh, that I now uh, understand and read as and rely on and run my life on um, that, what I call that felt experience of God, that experience of the presence. So what I'm hearing is that this is a very long process. It's not just a step two process. You know, it, it starts with step two and it ends at step three. Got God, found him, you know, <laughs> know what I'm doing now. Um, in fact, the recovery literature talks about it in step 10 and talks about that the hunch becomes a working part of the mind. Our connection with our higher power begins to show up as our instinct, you know, and we're not misled by by um, human uh, instincts and drives and things like that nearly as often as we are before. And so, you know, I think that part of this is, I don't know, growth take time. As, as they say, time takes time, you know, and that's part of the recovery process that I know that that uh, many of us are in a hurry for. Let's let's get this done. Let's have let's get to the other side of it and have a good life, you know, not realizing that it's in the journey. Yeah, all, all you have to change is everything, we say, <laughs> which is a really daunting concept. But man, what a wonderful reality, I have to say. Um, yeah, I see what you're saying about the steps and I'm, I'm just getting this picture and I don't know that I've really thought about this or tried to articulate it before, but you know, the steps are steps. They're in a certain order. You know, I've seen many diagrams and posters on the wall and meeting halls of the steps is literally a staircase, you know, and I, one and from one I can reach to. And, and I think that that's absolutely true, but I also think that they all, 12. They all continue on in parallel through the entire experience. I mean, I'm never done uh, with any particular step. It will come back. It'll circle back around, you know, at the right time, um, just depending on what all is going on. But I can't learn them all at once, right? I can, I can learn them in order, especially if I uh, go through them with a sponsor, like we talk about and really undertake the practice. But yeah, they all continue to live on. Step two, definitely not a, 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 a you know, one and done kind of thing. So I think this coming to believe for me is, an, is a process that happens all the time. So let's now move into action. It's our unity's fifth principle states, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something, if you're listening, that you can do this week to move from the disarray of an undirected life to a life of genuine peace, comfort, and joy through belief in a higher power. 
And so if you already have a concept of a higher power, bring that to mind. And if you don't already have something, that's not a problem. Just bring to mind something that feels comfortable and supportive of you in your life. It could be perhaps a peaceful scene in nature or the feeling of the entire universe loving you just the way you are. Well, whatever your con- your conception of a higher power may be for you, uh, take it into a quiet time of prayer and meditation. We simply relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. So we'll use a denial, which is a statement of power, to deny any power to feeling that this disarray of lack of direction in your life has any power over you. You could say something like, disharmony is not the truth of who I am. Repeat it a few times in your head or even say it aloud and say it with conviction. Disharmony is not the truth of who I am. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. You might, for example, say, I live a life of peace, comfort, and joy supported by the loving presence of my higher power. Then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Give thanks for your new experience in the world. And then, okay. So again, disharmony is not the truth of who I am. I live a life of peace, comfort, and joy, supported by the loving presence of my higher power. So we've come to the end of our time together today, and we hope that you found something to help you on your recovery path, and we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to listeners and callers, and thank you so much to my co-host, Reverend Dan Beckett, for the insights shared in our discussion today. Listen. And again, if you would like, you can connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, and give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, have a wonder-filled week. Thank you for listening. This is Unity Online Radio the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to ignite your best life and illuminate the world? I'm Stephanie James. I'm a motivational speaker, transformation coach, and psychotherapist. And what lights me up is helping people just like you create the greatest versions of themselves. On my podcast, Igniting the Spark, I will help you ignite your joy and reach new heights in your personal and professional life. Join me for some incredible conversations with authors, spiritual teachers, and other influential thought leaders to help guide you on your way. If you are ready to stop playing small, join me for Igniting the Spark on the mindbodyspirit.fm network or wherever you get your podcasts and ignite your best life.